This is the Unscripted Podcast. What's up, Bob? I'm feeling all weird. Why? Because I'm sitting in the middle. Well, I mean, somebody's got to do it, right? I mean, this is what happens when you have these special guests on here. I know it. But yeah, the thing to remember is Oreo cookies, the good stuff's in the middle. Good stuff's in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good way to put it, Mr. Gary. Yeah, we're glad to have Gary Benning on with us today. And uh, thanks for, uh, for coming down. You're, I think you're the, it's the furthest traveled anybody's come to be on our podcast. So. Yeah, I mean, what a, what a special way, treat. All the way from Kansas. Yes, sir, Dodge City. Dodge City. Wow. The, uh, so, Gary, let me, let me tell you how I met Gary, all right? So... Years ago, so when you go to PTP, you get the little thumb drive thing where it tells you the the story time with Chris. <laughs> you get the little thumb drive where you get to listen to, uh, you know, it's got everybody on there, right, right? Right, right? I have no pedigree in the church, so I don't know who nobody is, you know. And so, you know, when these guys talk about these big name preachers and all this and that and the other that they've known from years past. You know, they're just names to me. Now, I can go back and listen to some of their sermons or read some of their writings, but these guys, I have no idea who they are, you know. So I'm listening to, I'm just letting my thumb drive run its course, and the first time I hear one of these lessons from Gary, you know, it just it's just uh, alphabetical order, is Gary does this lesson on, and I don't remember, the, I don't even remember the lesson now, but it was something on one of the, I know what it was. It was on uh, Luke, is it 17? Lord teaches, you know, John's disciples taught him, you know, John's disciples taught him how to pray. Lord teaches how to pray also. Is that Luke 17 or Luke Luke uh, 14? Luke, Luke 11 is where the disciples come to Jesus and say, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. That's it. he had just come down from the mountain praying. Yep, yeah, that's right. John 11. Luke, Luke 11. 11 1. Yep, 11, yep, 1, yep, yep, yep. The only thing we have. Because 18 is the persistent widow, right? 18, yes. Yeah, that's the persistent widow. And so that was the first lesson I heard Gary talk about that, and I thought that makes so much more sense now listening to to that. Well, so then I started listening to several of them. And, you know, I'm buddies with a couple of the guys. That, yeah, Gary's like the encyclopedia of uh, of biblical studies. I wish. <laughs> and, and so I called. He's humble, too. Right, well, I called one of the directors. I was like, I need this guy's number. Like, I need a reference on this. I need to. I got some questions I got to ask. And so, you know, ever since then, you know, I've been hooked. And because Gary does these, like, like this year, he done this lesson that it's one of them things, like, if I ever, you ever try to preach a lesson that somebody else preached before? I can't never like if I do it. I just feel like I look like a dummy, so I just I just quit trying to do that. I you know, feel like I'm like a wart sticking out on a cheek. Or yeah, something. yeah. And so uh, uh, Gary done this, and I've wanted to do it 50 times now since I've been back. But Gary, he he just think about this. He taught an hour about the string that hangs off of a Jewish man's britches. All yeah, right, the tassel. Yeah, and I heard all about it. Gary. Yeah, and I I mean like like it was such a profound lesson to think about those things, and and so I know. That I'm so thankful for the people that we have in the church that have collected this information that can give it to us. And, you know, Gary, he's a treasure trove in that regard. And so that's what the real blessing is, is to be able to, to come in here with somebody that's, that uh, understands these kind of cultural underlayings, you know, these things that, you know, because in Hebrews 11, 1, you know, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And that word substance there is really the things underneath. You know, so when Elijah is is on Mount Carmel 
and and he's going to have the showdown with the prophet of, of Baal there. That became evidence to them, right? That was evidence. But for us, it becomes the substance. For us, it's the things underneath. And so, so that's where all these blessings of all understanding all these things from the cultural significance of it helps us to kind of choreograph, you know, because you have this timeless message, right? I mean, it's not like like the Lord uses tax collectors because there's never a time in history where it's like, you know what? What are you going to be when you grow up? Look, y'all do whatever you want to do. I'm going to be a tax collector because that's a good old bunch of boys. Can't wait. They all love us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's never been a time in history, you know? My daddy's just so appreciative. (laughs) The community loves him. They love to see daddy coming. and so I just want to be spat on. Right, and so, so you know that you got this immutable book that you can that anybody anywhere can pick up and read, and and they can obey and they can become a new creature through it. But the the more that you kind of peel back these, not that you have to, right? right? But the more you peel these things back, the more it just deepens and strengthens your faith, and so you're just putting these roots way down in the ground. That's just like the gospels, though. See, the synoptics to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those were all written as an apologetic. They were all written to Christians to build up, to shore up, to provide more of that foundation right. for their belief. Mm-hmm. Now, we look at it, and this is one thing I keep telling people. The Bible was written for us, but it wasn't written to us. Right. And so for us to glean a lot of the benefits, the gold nuggets. Think about how smart he just, what that was, he just said, you know what? <laughs> Uh, it wasn't written, and you just cut him off. I know. I just, I just needed to. I, I wanted to sear that in our minds. Yeah, I'm preaching Sunday. <laughs> but you know, the fact is, who it was written to, they had some just understandings. If I say to you nine eleven, immediately you have context. Right. If I say January sixth, immediately you have context. Right. Fourth of July. Yeah. Now, yeah, you say you say that to my. You know, fifteen-year-old son. You bring up nine eleven. He's like, well, he, well I, he, the only context he has is what his parents have told him about. That's right, or what he's researched. And so, until you know, just take it even further. If you go to Vietnam War, turn your mic up a little bit. You're still, yeah. a little, uh, or the con- a Korean conflict. Immediately, you start removing people from right. a clear understanding. I mean, if you say, okay, people who came back from the Vietnam War were spat upon and disrespected. You think. Our own military soldiers, they have no basis of right. how much more 2,000 years removed do we, tax collector, do we understand the Jewish view of another Jew who would turn against them mm-hmm. and collect taxes for Rome? Right. So what has been your kind of, um, you know, obviously, so I study history too. You know, uh, I'm currently reading a book right now, just as a you know a bit of information background. You know, I love American history, and so I, I read this stuff over and over and over again. But like we were watching a show the other Chris, day. Chris doesn't mind like dry reading either. Like a lot of people would not enjoy it, but I mean he he'll read through something that some some people say, well, that's completely you know insignificant or whatever. Well, like manuscripts. And yeah, and he'll draw lots of. But things as out of smart it. as he is, I mean, think about what he used to do before he. Right. Surrender to God, became a preacher. Mm-hmm. I mean, sitting in a nuclear sub, tracing lines of yeah, yeah, so, wires, yeah. <laughs> diagrams. Well, well so you, you think about this thing. Like, so when I study history, you know, like Jessica and I were watching a movie the other day and uh, Saturday or whatever day 
It was. It was raining. That's every day here. Yeah, the day that ends in matter. So we were watching this movie. Saturday, I remember what it was. We are waiting on our company to get there Saturday afternoon. And uh, so they were, got delayed. There was a traffic jam up north. So we were watching this movie about World War One, And it was just all the chemical war, the 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 flamethrowers, the first time they saw tanks. And, I mean, like, World War One was a unique war, right? And so I realized how little I knew about why World War One happened and all these things. But I can tell you in detail about the American history. You know what I mean? Like, like I'm currently reading a book about what it was like when Lee lived in Arlington and Lincoln lived in the Capitol building at the uh, point of the cessation of the Union, you know, when the mm-hmm. when we were going to divide the Union and start what we call the Civil War. And so I'm reading about those current events right right now. And most people would think that's the boringest thing in the world. To me, it's fascinating reading, right, because... Me too. I'm a member of the Sons of Confederate Veterans. Yeah, and it, so, it, so it, it helps me understand the history, you know, and it helps me understand, you know, because I've been reading a lot of the uh, denominational preachers' writings from that period about helping them, helping me understand how religiously they stood on both sides of the line, you know, with slavery and not against slavery and how did they view the institution and all these things. Well, well, how, how has though, you know, that helps me understand America, right? So how has this cultural understanding of the, the, you understand, cause you do such a good job with, and you make it come alive to me whenever I hear you talk about these things, how has those things really affected you and helping you become uh, uh, I don't want to say faithful, but helping you to appreciate what God has done for us through the written word. I've been preaching since 1979. Wow. That's 43 years. But in 1990, Do we need to speak louder? Maybe I do. No, just like you've been preaching so long. It was a, that was a dad joke. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, that was a joke? I thought yeah. jokes were funny. Uh, <laughs> Touche. No, but in 1998, I had my first opportunity to go to Israel. And I had always taught that you take the Bible in context. And I had done very diligent to make sure I didn't pull verses out of context. Right. But when I first stepped in Israel and started learning. That's still true today. Very much so. Right. But I didn't understand what context was until I got over to Israel. And I've been there 10 times now. Wow. I want to go back again. Right. it's, It's so valuable. But when you look at things from the Jewish eyes, what's their history? What's their culture? What's their background understanding? You know, something as simple as he makes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Or he makes the sun to shine on the just and the unjust. You know, Why is there significance in that? We like sunshine. Right. So help me understand that. Why is there significance in that? Well, you find that most of the rain in Israel which takes place up in the Galilee and then northwestern part of Galilee, comes within only a few months. Unlike we down here in the south, <laughs> it comes all year round. Right, every few almost. minutes. <laughs> but sunshine to us is we'd love to have a nice day of sunshine. Right. Well, it sunshine's over there all the time. And so they cherish the rain, especially down mm-hmm. from Jerusalem south right. in the Judean area that tr- rain is treasured. Mm. So you have uh, barely anywhere from two to four inches in the southwestern part of Judea and four to 11 inches on the southeastern part right. of Judea. And it takes at least 11 inches of rain to have a good crop. So that's why the, the, 
Feast of Tabernacles, for example, you Very know, when the priest so. would do his little pour-out ceremony yeah, or water, whatever. Yeah, yeah, go down to bet, the pool Besta and bring up that golden pitcher of water right. and pour it out. Right. It was a sign of trust and faith in God because they were pouring out something treasured. So that's why in John's Gospel, when Jesus... When, when Jesus stands up at the last day of the feast there, it, it kind of records it that way. I you am know, the water. Right, I, right exactly right. You know, I, I, you know he, he's, he's trying to, you know, he, he's apparently doing that at the, either there, around, or, you know, after, before. You know, it, yeah. it, was, it would have been really close to that event. It was fresh in their mind whenever yeah. it was. Yeah, That's exactly. Like, yeah. And so, so while we understand, you know, if we drink the water Jesus gives us, you know, just like the woman at the well, water will flow out of us. And and but to a Jewish person, when they're thinking the priest kind of ceremoniously pours out that cup because water was such a scarce thing, he's saying, "Lord, I depend on you." You know, we we essentially depend on you. And Jesus is saying, "Like I'm the one you depend on." Yeah. You know, I I'm the one that you're gonna. What you don't realize is that while you pour that water out, you're right. I made it. I'm the one. And just as much as that water is gonna dry. You'll always need something to drink again, but I've got something greater to give you than what that water ever can. And with that, you know, just like in Jeremiah chapter 2, I believe the, the heart of the message is that God's saying, I wish I had you back in the wilderness. Why? In the wilderness, they understood. They depended on God for their water, for their manna, for their quail, mm-hmm. for their daily substance. They understood the need of God to intervene on their behalf. But now they're sitting up there in Galilee right. where the crops can have a hundredfold or sixtyfold and life is good, right. what's the need for God? Right. God says, I wish yeah, I had same, you back. Same way in, in, in our nation today, you know, we, we get so rich and, um, and we can depend on ourselves so much, so, so many times. And, um, so, yeah, so we're going to ask you some, uh, some Jewish cultural type questions today to help us have, and our listeners to have a deeper understanding of, and maybe of context, and, and maybe spur scripture. in them this desire to learn more that way. Absolutely, I, I know it'll spur more in me. Uh, this um, so one question that I have is, you know, Jesus talks a lot about weddings and wedding feasts, and so in today's <clears throat> culture, you know, we understand a wedding in a in a certain way. Uh, I saw somebody who had their fourteenth uh, wedding um, reception, and it was. What do you mean? Well, their their 14th anniversary, I mean. Oh, okay. And, uh, like... But they had a picture where they had been where they had been married at a bass club. And uh, <laughs> and what I mean by a bass club, like, it's exactly what you think. You know, there's plywood walls that were not painted. Right. And anyways. A, a they, camp, a fish camp. Yeah. They, they're, and so, but they've still been married for 14 years. And um, so, anyways, we think about, you know, weddings. We just had one recently here at the church and. um and, you know, every, from as many weddings as I've done, I know in American culture, like, they're all a little different, but they're all pretty much, you know, they're similar. Cut and dry. They're similar. Right. Starting in. So, Jesus talks so much about, you know, the wedding, and, and you think about, uh, you know, the parable of the ten virgins, you know, while the bridegroom was delayed. Well, why in the world would a dude be late to his own wedding? And so, in our culture, we might not understand those things. And so, uh, I wanted you to kind of tell us about... Um, Jewish culture when it came to weddings, but also the betrothal. We just did one recently on on um, if you if you know these answers as far as Joseph and Mary, they were betrothed to one another, and kind of what does that mean, and uh, and what would someone expect for it to happen from the time that that somebody said, 
I mean, was there a proposal? Was it, you know, so anyways, maybe you can fill us in on some of that. That's one of my questions. Okay. When a young man would set his eye on, and a lot of times people say, well, they just had arranged marriages. And sometimes it was. But a lot of times if a young man, just like Samson says, I want that woman. Right. Then there would generally be a time period where either the groom, but generally his dad, or a male lead, would go and talk to the girls. Father. Dad, dad or male lead, if the dad's gone, sure. older brother, right, etc. Right. And they would find out whether there would be uh, in any interest. And people say, well, the wives, women didn't have any rights. Yes, they did. They had rights. They could say no. They could object. They could still be married. <laughs> mm-hmm. But their family would have some say-so in it. When the groom or the dad would go and talk to the other one, then there would be a negotiation. And most of the time, it's within a, they're sitting around all day long type thing. And what is created is called, a, if there's an agreement between the girl and the guy, there's a ketubah. A ketubah basically is a contract that is written out and which lays out and saying, okay, Sally, here's what's going to be expected of you if you become John's wife. Mm-hmm. So wait a minute now. Back the truck up and pump the brakes on the ketubah. <laughs> yeah, like, so in my ketubah, I'm going to sit out like, listen, I need biscuits hot every morning. It's going to be written down in that th- those yes. things like that? I but, mean, that can be written out as far as responsibilities, as far as frequency of relations. Good job. Uh, <laughs> uh, can be, it's going to be spelled out. That's 43 years of wisdom right there. <laughs> right. Yeah. right. Uh, but anything from... You'll be expected to put up the tent, or you'll be expected to keep the house, or to provide food for the family. Or so, whatever. could she do that for me? That was part of the agreement. In return, I will do these things. Make sure you have a goat in the pasture. Mm-hmm. Make sure you have lambs. So, this would all be part of the. Now, at some point, and you find the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, whether or not there is a dowry price paid to the groom's family, or whether or not there is a dowry price paid to the bride's family. Because it huh. seems like it switches a little bit. You know it what I mean? Does. Like when you read it, it seems like it's kind of, it, there's an evolution to it in some kind of way. I don't know if I've ever, I mean, as much as I've studied the Bible, I don't know if I've seen like a dowry price or whatever. Not as listed as amount. Okay. Now, what's one of the things you find in the New Testament? Do you remember Jesus in Luke chapter 15 talking about the woman with the coins? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, and you've seen movies where the woman would have a, like a little part of her veil and she'd have coins hanging on it. Right. A lot of times that would be considered a dowry, but it was the, what the bride would have. And each of those coins were valuable, so if the husband died, she would have something. She treasured those things. But if the wife had behaved dishonorably, one of the things that would happen is a coin could be removed. Mm. And so if a woman had a coin removed from her veil or from her headpiece, it would be like... You really messed up. You really messed up. So if so, she just lost one, man, how much she would sweep that house to find it. That's it. Well, it think about what it would make it her look call, like. Yeah, it wouldn't cause shame on herself or yeah, her family or whatever. Right. And that's, and that's very much a part of it there. And so after You better that, be lucky you're preaching something. <laughs> after you have the ketubah established, once it's agreed, Sally's agreed and John's agreed, and this is agreeable as far as mom and dad have, I mean, dad has agreed on both of them, then... Generally, the groom would give a gift 
Now, this gift is not a dowry. It is just a gift, and there's a time set up for a dinner. And it's basically a betrothal has taken place. Once the agreement has taken place and the gift has been given, then they are to separate, to break the engagement, would need to have a get, a divorce. It's called a get. Even though they hadn't been officially married? It, even though... See, we don't have an official marriage ceremony. Right. But it is an agreement. Now, generally at that point, then the son, after the dinner and everything, goes back home to the dad's house. The woman goes back home to her. Mm-hmm. And there's a period of about a year, but there's not a definite time saying, okay, in one year, in two days, we're getting married. Mm-hmm. Right, we're November the, the 19th. Yeah. Right. right. So the son goes home, and generally what takes place because remember, this is a very much of a family society. Everything centers around your family. Mm-hmm. The son would go home and in a year's period of time would build on a room. To his father's house. To his father's house. Yeah. So now that's he, John 14. Yeah. Right. My father's, father's house are many rooms. Are many rooms. Uh, right. The word there, I think, is in Sula. But it's many rooms. So which, side note, which gives us. We don't have a mansion over the hilltop. We right. got a room got in the master's room. house. Right. Right. Yeah. I got a room with and daddy. So there's a right. That's very valuable. Absolutely. Now that room, as we say off the court of the house, it could be built off the courtyard. Right. It's not necessarily a very big room, but it is a room where they keep their small possessions. Remember, first century, life takes place in the courtyard of the family. The family eats in the courtyard. There may be in some more wealthy families the big family room, the big dinner table. People come in there. But life, the cooking, the cleaning, the clothes, that's all done inside the courtyard area of a home generally. Uh, if there's not big enough or wealthy enough to have a courtyard, a lot of that stuff takes takes place out in front of the house. Okay, so when, when for example, <clears throat> people walk by and they see Jesus eating at somebody's house, how are they seeing that then if it's in the courtyard? First of all, the thing is, if somebody, hospitality is very much, Middle Eastern, that is That, that supersedes one. Jewish culture is what you're saying. Yes, that right. is, that's very much so. And the, if, somebody, if a rabbi comes to a village and you invite him into your house, right. then people generally of the village will help you. If you need extra plates, extra silverware, extra bread or whatever, that's what makes the... Uh, story of the man and friend at midnight right. so valuable right. because this is a community thing right. and if you don't act hospitable then it's a disgrace not only on you but on your village yeah, if a friend comes and knocks on your door and says i need bread, bread yeah and right. so that's why so there then you see kind of this evolution then why so it's such a significant part of their culture that even some of the people that are proponents of homosexual uh, or, or that uh, you know, condoning homosexuality, they look back at, at Sodom and Gomorrah and say the condemnation was because they weren't hospitable. Some would say that. Yeah, yeah. we understand that's right. not you know the biblical narrative, but but so but, then the hospitality. What was the father willing to do? Yeah. Oh yeah. To honor, to show honor. Yes. See, shame and honor are two big motivators in Middle Eastern minds, and it still is. Right. And you have your in-group and your out-group. You've heard me teach on this before, mm-hmm. that if you're in-group, you never betray your in-group. It's kind of like your clan. It is. Yeah, we're clan now. That's that, that's that Middle Eastern or that uh, Arab proverb. Me and my brother against my cousin, me and my cousin against the world. That shows that 
family orientation, that in-group orientation. And so if somebody comes into your house, you say, Gary, come to dinner tonight at my house. So if I come to your house in the Middle Eastern mindset at that point in time, it'd be your responsibility to protect me, to take care of me in your house. Now, if Chris decides to start war against you while I'm in your house, then it's my responsibility to stand up and fight with you against oh, okay. Chris. Because it is a matter of the in-group, out-group, the honor, shame. So very much, and this is, this is still a big thing in the Middle East right now, the honor and shame. And it plays out in different ways. Uh, I don't know whether you remember, you remember when Arafat and Manhattan Begum met at Camp David? Yep, the camp, yep. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're uh, Palestinian, Israeli. Right. Peace talks. If you remember one of the things when they kissed each other, <clears throat> when Arafat kissed Manhattan Begum, he kissed him on the cheek. We, a lot of times we Americans just miss on this. Right. That was not just a greeting. That was, I'm equal to you. I've kissed you on your cheek versus I kissed your hand mm. or I've kissed your foot. Mm. Claiming equality right. with him. That's a matter of honor and shame. Arafat was able to go back and say, look what I did. Look what I've done. I'm, right. I'm equal with him. Right. And so that was a big to-do. Well, you find in the New Testament, even the wedding ceremony or the wedding get-together, we'll go taking you back there where I was, is that after the man goes back and he builds the room, then the man would go, the groom, at a point a date designated. And he would have everything prepared for a great big feast. A great big feast, a wedding feast, generally lasted about a week, about five days. And Son, yeah. imagine a week long paying for your daughter's uh-huh. wedding. Yeah. It was it's very much of a big thing. And that was probably part of this whole agreement, too, this ketubah that, yeah. hey, we can't afford this, we can't, and so we're going to work on all, all this together. That's all part of the thing yeah. there. And so the, so the wedding feast in Cana then that we're seeing and you know where jesus does his first we, miracle we've run out of line yeah. yeah yeah so we're not seeing a uh you know like we have our we, when sean and linda got married was it last week week before last whatever yeah. it was you know we all went back there we had cake and there was enough cake for everybody to get them a slice and you know some of our sisters made i mean they they really really do it up here but you know it was an hour and a half you know what i mean and then we're all cleaning up afterwards so we ain't talking about an hour and a half here well it, no this is a big thing and when then the groom, and generally it's closer to midnight when the groom would go and get his bride. Before before the feast? No. I mean, the, starting off with the, the feast would be held late at night. And according to the rabbis, the tradition would be the man to go get his bride would generally do it as close to midnight as possible, late in the evening, to give her more time with her family for the last time. Okay. Okay. So then he'd go and get her. And he would bring her to his house. So let me make sure I understand this right. So you've got you got the ketubah. He goes off. He builds a he builds a room on his father's house. Then he says, "Okay, we're going to have a feast." She knows that, but she kind of knows a a reasonable time. He starts the feast without her. Is that right? And then he goes to get her at midnight. There's no evidence that he started the feast without her. Okay. So she's there eating with him. Yeah. Right. They're all just eating lamb together. We ain't eating bacon sandwiches. When she comes though. There is a proclamation that is made, and there's 
a little bit of fuzziness about exactly what takes place. Mm-hmm. But once she has come in, the virgins are generally her friends mm-hmm. that are waiting. Kind of like the maid of the the maid, bride party. What do they call yeah. them? Bridal party. Maid, bride, of, bride, maid, bride, maid, maid. Yeah, bridesmaid. Yeah, yeah. And so they always follow her in. Now, what we would think about all the time with the bride and groom sitting together and everybody coming around them, after the, and I'll, I'll call it a ceremony, but after the acknowledgement, this is my bride, she is now in my home, she is, then a lot of times, at this point, the bride and groom would excuse themselves to go to the insula. Yeah. What's the insula, Gary? We'll be, we'll be back. <laughs> the insula is the room that the groom has built onto yeah. his father's house. What do they do in there? That's where their bed is. Yeah. And then... After they've been in there a while, the groom would then bring... That's where the two become one flesh, <laughs> Jesus And the groom would bring back the sheets. Right. right. Proof, proof of the virginity. Of virginity, yeah. To right. give to the father. Right. Her father. Right. Yeah. Which would be evidence that she was chaste. So he could never claim later... That she was anything unseemly found in her. Right. Which, which would not cause shame on the, father's, on the, on the father of the bride family. That, absolutely. Yeah. That's right. very much so. Yeah. But then the rest of the time, after they come back from the room, she's going to be with her girlfriends for the most part. He's going to be with his friends, and it's going to be a big old party. Now, for, first, for the five days. Well, first of all, first part for the first day or so. This just seems so awkward to me. You, you know gonna, what I mean? I was going to ask like I was going to ask like five questions, but I think we might just have to stay on this thing. Yeah, I mean, like you think about the. So in my mind, what you've did is you've just. Like, all right, we're done eating our lamb chop or whatever we got here, our goat. We're going to shimmy off to the bedroom for a little while. And then, you know, let's just say we gone an hour, right? We're going to be real lenient with them. You know, they come back an hour later. Like, that's just going to be real awkward to me because everybody knows what we just got done doing. Yeah, but, but I would say it would pro- probably, though, I mean, that's that's probably a, a very honorable time for them. Very much so. I mean, it's... It. See, in our Western society, the whole subject of sex mm-hmm. is something that we look at with double vision. Right. In one aspect, we don't want to talk about it or look at it because, mm-hmm. well, that's sensual. That's immoral. Right. Right. We don't want to even. But on the other side is, well, we talk and we say it's just what God designed. The Absolutely. marriage bed is honorable yeah. right. and above all things. Absolutely. So we, but I don't want nobody to know when I'm honoring it, though. That's, <laughs> you know? But that's just a the thing there that... How'd it go, Jerry? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but there's that matter of honor. Right. You have shown honor by being sure. a husband, and she has shown her honor by being a chaste virgin for you. Right. So this is a matter of celebration mm-hmm. that just as God, uh, as a two, shall we come one, Genesis 3? I mean, mm-hmm. what do we have here? We have the fulfilling of God's plan. Right. And so that's the matter of celebration. It doesn't. Yes, was there a sexual immorality in the Old Testament? Oh, sure, absolutely. Of course, right. But this is holding up what God had designed from the very beginning, and it's not like a dirty little secret, right? Now, was there propriety? Was there indecency? They didn't have a a show window as they're in the (laughs) sula. Okay, this is private, and it's understood to be private. Right, Right. But it's a matter of she has performed as a wife. She is honorable. He is a husband. He is honorable. They have consummated that which God has joined together. So is that where Catholicism gets the consummation thing from then? You know, under Catholicism, you have to actually consummate the marriage in order for it to be considered a, a legal invalid. Is, is that a cultural holdover? I mean, is that where that comes from? 
all I'm going to reference as far as Catholicism, I'll tell you what a cardinal told me in a Bible study one time, and he says, a lot of our practices are traditional, not founded in Scripture. Well, he probably never practiced it himself, too, you know. Probably not him. No. <laughs> and but. I just want, so then, so how does the ten virgins play, play into this then? Why are they beating on the door? Yeah, that's what I'm That's what They I'm are reading. waiting, and the five went in with him, mm-hmm. went in with the bridal. The grooms got the bride. They're coming into the feast. Mm-hmm. Afterwards? Or before, as he brings her from the house, mm-hmm. her, her her house on the oh. start, on the start of this whole thing, yes, right. And then as they're coming in, but they're I mean they're all carrying their little lamps and mm-hmm. stuff, and they're celebrating. Well, the five foolish virgins didn't have enough oil, so they had gone to get oil, so they missed the procession in. Right, and so when that when, when the doors closed, it is for for the first day or so. It is for those immediately invited. Wow. to this wedding. After that, the doors are open and more people, the village is invited in. They're welcome to come in. So is that why it. that's the significance then in John 4 with why are you saving the good stuff to the end? Yeah. You know, that's a, you know like we should have had all this one. John 2. I mean, uh, John 2. I mean, I mean, I'm just thinking a woman at the well, but yeah. John 2, that, that's the significance of it there. We needed to we usually do this when we shut the doors. You know, the this good is, stuff is yeah. given to those who are first. Yeah, the here. most flavorful and and all those things. Right, right, okay. Yeah, because it's a, if it's a five day feast, those who are well drunk, like okay, we've yeah we've had this. Uh, man, that's powerful. So then I also think about this the significance too that only those who were invited. I mean, it was when you look at the now it's going to be open to the Gentiles. Well, originally it was only those who were Jewish who were allowed in God's family. That's just it. Jesus had them, when the, those invited didn't come, go out into the highway and, the highways and, highways and bring them, them in. Yeah, bait the bushes. That's it. And so those who it was prepared for don't get to have it. They're not going to eat of my food. Right. Let those others come in. Yeah. And there's the, and there's so much more there that I think that we miss. Mm-hmm. I, I've missed being in, from the West is if you're invited in, that is an honorable. You have been chosen. That's why the one, and generally when you're invited in, your wedding clothes are provided for you so that you sit at the table all right. decked out. And so when you have that one man who did not have his wedding clothes on. Yeah, the wedding right. crasher. When he would have been, he would have had it provided for him, but he chose not to oh, wear no. it. Yeah. He was cast out. Yeah, And that's what Paul says in Romans, like, you know, you Jews don't feel like that you're being discredited because the Gentiles are now let in. Like, no, this has always been here for you. Like, yeah, the engrafted in part. Yeah, you know. And see, there's the part, that's why the church is the true Israel. Right. But where we sometimes lose it is... Romans 10 and 11. Yeah. But we, we sometimes have fallen into the trap of sterilizing our Christianity. Say that, say that one more time. What many, do you mean by that? Many people have fallen into... You know, back in the uh, 4th century, there was a great big effort to strip Judaism out of Christianity. That's well, why you have just Easter you had and Passover, so oh, and the Jews right. killed Jesus, and that's you right. have things like that. Yeah, 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 so yeah. That's where the bubble comes made, from. We have yeah. made our Christianity so bloodless, so, as one person said, nicey-nasty, mm-hmm. that look at the crucifixes. Mm-hmm. What do we see? How often do we see more than one drop of blood? Right. You know, we don't recognize yeah. what was the price right. of the cross. Right. 
in the same way, the honor of being invited in yeah. to the wedding feast or to be the bride of Christ. Yeah, this is what I was referencing in Romans 3, 1. What advantage then has the Jew or what prophet of circumcision? He says much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. And so he's, you, you Jew, that's the, the thing I was trying to reference was that Y'all were invited in first, and so yep. you have you have every you have every advantage. That's right. As a Jew, but now you got to understand this is all about the Messiah. Now we had to follow him. And how many of the Jews accepted him before the Gentiles came? Right. Now, we're told, history tells us that by 70 A.D. in Palestine, it is believed that there was over 200,000, some say up to 300,000 Christians wow. living in Palestine, which would have Palestine, when I refer to Palestine, I'm talking about uh, Dan to Beersheba. I'm talking right, okay. about the bottom of the Dead Sea to the top of Israel, okay. mm-hmm. which would be approximately 150 miles, 153 miles from top to bottom at the very tippity-tip points and no more than 50 miles wide. So that's a pretty significant amount of people. Yeah, that's, that's a At chunk. that point in time, yeah. Yeah. which also gives you some insight to how maybe the Passover had changed. And that's another story. Sure, sure, but, sure. Uh, but did you, and that was word of mouth. You know, just think about that. That's Acts eight one going. You know, yeah, I didn't have any podcast. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. And then you go to Colossian, where every creature under heaven has heard right. the gospel right. preached. Right. When's the last time that's taken place? Amen. Yeah, and, I mean, you, you know, you and, and that's why it's kind of a scary thing when you think about the idea that if you think that, like, let's just look at the Revelation two three four scenario, right? And you have the seven churches at Asia. You know, we kind of start with Ephesus, and maybe that's because that was the epicenter of those other churches starting. You know, Ephesus being this, you know, AD 49, 50, you know, you get to Acts 19, Paul's in Ephesus, and then you see Thyatira, Laodicea, and all these kind of like, you know, country churches, as it were, you know, started by Ephesus. You think about, so if you think that, if you believe, I think there's two schools of thought on the book of Revelation with regards to this, that if you believe that, Revelation was written before the the temple was destroyed because some people say John doesn't reference that you would think that as a Jew John would reference to some degree with so much Jewish you know um kind of culture you know mythology kind of sprinkled in with it there that he would have mentioned the destruction of the temple well he doesn't so if you believe it's before AD 70 or if you believe it was the last you know end of the century, late 90s, right? Which is where I think probably most of us would kind of fall into That's that camp. That's what I would do. Now, A.T. Robinson started off with the late dating yeah. of a Revelation, uh, and then later on in his life he changed to the early dating of it. And, and so either side of the coin you step on, you think about this. That's only 50 years. Yep. If even if if that's only fifty years at the latest that the Lord is 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 having to write a letter to those churches and say, guys, you need to tighten up. Yeah, you've left your first love. You know, just just think about that. You know, you have you have stepped. You know, if, if it's twenty years, that's scary, right? Yep. I mean, how many churches in America would you get the letter? Yeah, I you mean, know? Paul. Even you know, Paul says, I'm I'm marveled. Like I'm. Yeah, how soon you moving, turned away? You're moving away so quickly from the gospel. There's not another one. Right. And the thing is, think about who was it that said we're only a generation away from apostasy? Yeah, I mean, Absolutely. the we Lord. Say we, we, we say <laughs> judges, that all the time. Judges too. But, but think about it. How much has things changed just in our lifetime? Oh, I mean, think about 20 church. years. Yeah. I mean, think about the respect for the Bible. Oh, yeah. yeah. Now, 
I don't know whether y'all do this or not. And I remember being in, and I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't become a Christian exposed to the church until I was 14, 15 years old. But we used to have Bible drills. Do y'all used to have Bible drills? Mm-hmm. We start in class and everybody hold their Bible like that. Yeah, we do that at our say, house. The teacher would say, John 3.16. So the person had to get over and find it first. Right. And read it, and the boys got it, the girls got it. Yeah, but it's liable to erupt into naked fighting at my house. But we do it, though. (laughs) You know, we. we, But the fact is, we don't need to hear about all that. (laughs) But the respect for God's word. Yeah. How much has that changed? Right. Uh, How much has our society? You know, y'all probably don't remember this, but there used to be something called Sunday go to meeting clothes. I still say that. Uh, You know, that's that's your fancy clothes. Sunday go to meeting clothes. You wear it to, to worship. Right. As soon as you get home, you take it off, put on your jeans and your T-shirt. Right. Yeah. Okay. But how much has we commonized? That's not a word I know, but right. made common. Right. The whole aspect of our Christianity and our faith. Yeah. You well, I can also see some of that too. That um, I I think in some ways that uh, that it is a, I think it's a blessing like. So, so some people in the church, uh, and I don't want to go pull down, up on your mic a little bit. I don't want to go down a long tangent on this, but some people are like, uh, "Hey, we're never going to use the song Days of Elijah' because it says in the song, um, you know, these are the days of of your servant David rebuilding a temple of praise." And they're like, "Well, David never built the temple; uh, God would not allow him to. Solomon did." And so, really, though, if we wanted to get into the thing, rebuilding a temple of praise, we should say. My kids say, these are the days of your servant, Zerubbabel, rebuilding a temple. <laughs> but, because it's just kind of a common knowledge. But the idea is that, is that David had in his heart that, you know, you think most of those psalms would have probably been written while he was out there with the sheep. And then, you know, then he's like, hey, set this to the tune. You know, he set them to, to those things, you know, letters of king at times. But... <clears throat> I think Jesus commonized so many things is that, you know, you had the priests and you had the Pharisees that they wore those garments and they wore those clothing. And I think Catholicism almost plays a big role in some of those things. And then you, you get to the point that, uh, that now today that, that it's God's looking for those true worshipers who are going to worship in spirit and truth. And, and as long as my heart, you know, whatever I, I need to wear to make sure that my heart is lined up with, well, with, with worshiping, and placing a significance upon, you know, on worship that it, that it. Yeah, we're not talking about wearing flip flops and pajamas. Well, first of all, let's make sure we understand that Jesus made access to the Father for all people. For all people. That's the that's what what, yes. what I was trying to bring out is sometimes even in the church <clears throat> has brought the world in. You remember right. back in Ezekiel in the book of Ezekiel. And God takes Ezekiel by the hair and takes him, lets him look inside of a hole yeah. into the Holy of Holies. Yeah, look into the heart of men. And do you realize he's, you see the instruments of Jehovah worship, God worship? Yeah. But there was also the idols of idolatry yeah. worship? Ezekiel 8. Right. Yeah. Now, here's the key. Here's what, here's what takes place, has taken place in a lot of religious groups today. Not only were they worshiping idols along with Jehovah worship, but they had brought God down to a common level. Right. And that's yeah. why it says, my yeah. Shania, and the, the glory of God departs from the temple. Yeah, that's why Ezekiel uses that term, like every man went to the hidden room of his heart. And so we have to be very careful that sure. we do, you know, that we don't take God and bring him down to the right. common level of American society. And maybe, right. maybe too, I had this happen one time, and, and I mean, I think maybe we as leaders in the church should 
we should be the ones who raise that bar. And, uh, and, and I know this preacher came and he was a guest speaker at a congregation I was at growing up. And he said, uh, let us all stand and honor the reading of, the, of God's word as we begin this message. So he had us all standing. He read, he read like 15 verses or whatever. And he's like, you know, God, we honor you and your word. You know, now you can be seated or whatever. And I, that just that played a – it was significant to me as a, you know, 16, 17-year-old boy that it's like, wow, you know, we really should honor, you know, God's word. And, and um, sometimes uh, it's like I think that, that we, we cripple with our society too. All right, we're going to put the scriptures all on the screen, you know. Nobody turning. Yeah, and, I mean, uh, and that's that's a that's what you know. Uh, and and I, I I I struggle with those things because you know I want people to be turning their pages in their Bible. Yeah, you know I mean I I don't even I've said this before and I'll probably I'll say it again. Like I don't like people using their iPads and stuff because yeah. you know your iPad while it may have the Bible app on it, it connects you to God. The Bible connects you to God. But your iPad also connects you to everything else in the world. Mm-hmm. Your Bible is the only thing that you have that connects you. are going to have you. an ad pop up. Or, yeah, what are you going to do when the message? Yeah, exactly. Exactly well, right. You know, I mean, there's I, something about, I guess this is going to show my old age. I'm not old yet, but I mean. <laughs> Gary, you've been preaching since 1979. Yep. But he's going to live forever, so he's not old. Right. <laughs> but there's something about, and I, I love looking at preachers' Bibles. How do you like my new one? I got, I got me a new one here. You, did you know they made a preacher's Bible? No, I didn't know that. I didn't either. Somebody told me about it, and I bought me one. It's large print, so you can see it from the pulpit. Well, and also it lays flat. Oh, it lays flat. Okay. It always lays flat no matter where you're at. they got a special type. Yeah. But I take it, and I... Oh, yeah. All the notes. Yeah. When you look at the Bible and you see the notes, you can tell that somebody has been in God's Word and made it, I mean, added things that are important to them to have. Their significance. Yeah, the the, uh, all those... The the Bible was the first hyperlink thing ever. You know that yeah. you understand years. hyperlink, Gary. <laughs> Five years. Notice how I ignore this. Five years ago, I lost a, my Bible that I had for like thirty six oh, years, man. and I mean, I literally cried. I mean, it, I, I literally cried, and I had wished that somebody would have cut off my arm right. instead of losing my. So I had I did, went six months. I mean, I have a whole shelf of Bibles. I went six months without buying me another. Well, I'll just start putting notes inside my Bible program, in my iPad, in my phone. Mm-hmm. I'll have access to all my notes, and I'll t- type sermons in there, and I'll have it all right there. And finally, after about four months, I said, I've got to get me a good. And I found myself, finally, I found wide margin. Mm-hmm. I'm using New King James. Yeah. Wide margin. Heretic. Uh, I don't, hey, that's fine. <laughs> we use it, too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but... And there's something about, and for the, I have to tell you, now this is going to sound strange, and I'm strange. For the first couple of weeks, I carried that Bible from my chair to the kitchen table to my office, laid on my nightstand beside my bed, and I'd just sit there, even if I'm watching TV, holding my Bible, trying to make it my own. And when I get a Bible, I go through each page and open each page and make sure that it's going to lay flat for me. Because mm-hmm. uh, I hate preaching when oh, all yeah. of a sudden your Bible... Page Changes down. pages on you. Right. Yeah. But, right. yeah. And, you know, it, it's just, you know, the story I was telling you, talking about culture, the practice of the, the Scripture. Chris, if... Get a little closer to your mic if you don't mind. Chris, if I found out, my wife found out that your birthday was tomorrow. 
And if she made you a birthday cake, it would be one of the best birthday cakes you've ever tasted. And you would appreciate it. Mm -hmm. I guarantee you, you would love that cake. Amen. But I have he to says he's not big on sweets. But he's not big on sweets? Okay. Sweets are big on me, though. Okay. <laughs> but but if my wife boys. found out that your birthday was December 22nd, and she decided this year that she was going to make your cake next year special. So she grew the wheat. She got the chickens to gather the eggs. And she ground the wheat to make your cake. And if I was to tell you about how she had to harvest that wheat and how she had to grind right. it and how she had to collect the eggs and what she had to trade the eggs for to get the sugar, to get the oil, whatever, and that she spent hours and hours and hours and hours, months and days preparing just for your cake. And she made you that cake and gave it to you. It would still taste as sweet. It would still be good, and you would love it. But in your heart and in your life, you'd have a little bit more appreciation. Yeah, the appreciation would be so much For what great. she has done. Oh, so yeah. that you, when we look at Ephesians chapter, and I'm starting to preach, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Go ahead. Ephesians it. chapter 1, how God prepared before the foundation of the earth yeah. for our salvation. He didn't just bake us a cake, men. He ground the wheat. He yeah. raised the chickens. He prepared ahead of time so that you and I right. could receive the blessing. I was thinking, you know how a preacher's always working on a sermon. Right. And this next Sunday, Josh gets to preach at Madison. But I was thinking, now what if somebody would say, Gary, would you preach Sunday? What would I do? So we have... Oh, well, God's, you've been preparing that sermon for 43 years, you know. I... I Anytime. Right, right, you know, right. some people preach at the drop of a hat. I carry a hat to drop. I mean, <laughs> Amen. Yeah. I mean. That's the way every Christian should be. Right. You know? Amen. Well, be ready to give an answer to any man for the hope right. of it. I mean, you know, Paul says be instant in season, out, out of season. season. Yeah. Right. Well, God's yeah. provided the water. I'm instant. I'm ready to go. Right. right. <laughs> and, and, hey, uh, before we get off the Bible thing, um, I, I did the same thing. My revelation got chewed up last year by a dog. Oh. And uh, the dog's still living? It's your revelation. My my copy of Revelation. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Anyways, we, but 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 I love this Bible so much. In fact, the the second time I went to Honduras with Chris, I had to get this Bible rebound, and I, I sent it from Tennessee to Mississippi to get it rebound. So I had to go out of the country with a new Bible, with a different Bible. Oh. But somebody told me this, and, and this is pretty powerful. And since I've saw how much was in your your Bible written, so much, and uh, but how many children do you have? I have three. Somebody told me this. They said, "All right, preach with with your Bible, but make sure that that you change up, retire a Bible for a little bit, and get another one." And they said, "Make one for each of your children, each of my children, and my son-in-laws." I've given each of them a Bible. And except for one son-in-law, all of them have had notes in them. Mm -hmm. And now, I'm not ready to give up this right. one here yet. Right. But it's just talking about for when you die. To, ha to have Bibles that you've preached with, that you've had your notes in, yep. or your research. Uh, My wife's going to have a hard time deciding which one to give it this one here to. Yeah. I mean, it's... but. That's what they're saying is like don't don't make don't make somebody make that decision later. So, anyways, if that, it's a 
I thought that was a powerful thing, you know. And so I'm having I've I've got to get a new Bible to start. So let me just out, tell you a secret. Then I called and checked to see if I could get that section of your Bible back. I did the research because I knew how important it was to you, and I couldn't even get it. I I, I literally chased traced down the company and called him and talked to him. To see if I could get that back for you, and and yeah, and and I mean, there's already more more rips, but I mean, there's uh, right. it costs about a hundred and fifty dollars just to get it rebound, right. and then I don't think that I mean it's so tight now, I don't think it could be rebound again, but because they glued it and then stitched it, uh, yeah. So let, let's go because we're getting let's let's I know we don't. What's we, the next question? Yeah, so um, they got to get back. I got another one too. So here's a question. Okay. All right. <clears throat> John eight thirty five. You search the scriptures, and then you think you have eternal life, and these are what testify of me. You know, Jesus, you know, he's saying that the whole of the old law was about me anyways. Therefore, you, the law has become our tutor to bring us to Christ. Right, mm-hmm. right. Galatians 3, you know, Romans 15, 4, whatever things written before time, written for our learning, we through patience and comfort of the scripture might have hope. You know, all those things were, were, were designed to, to help us mature. You know, so essentially God's plan when Jesus... Uh, I don't mean to boil this down to kind of a logistics thing, but but God's plan was when when the Messiah came, everybody would transition into this new, you know, this umbrella religion then that kind of grabbed the whole world then. And so there's all these things in the Old Testament that point towards those things, you know, this newness in Christ, this, uh, you know, the the blessing of, of all old things going away, everything goes back to new again, you know, the... Uh, Isaiah 11, you know, the way the, the wolf and the lamb will lay down together, the little girl's going to stick her hand in the snake hole, and all this, all these things are, you know, symbology of the way the church is going to be at a later point. I have never read anywhere. Now, the year of Jubilee, right, we sing about it, you know, these things, every 50 years, you know, we kind of. Yeah, they're supposed to forgive debts and all that. Yeah, we go back, and God, and it was, you know, God knew that, that even in the year of Jubilee that, that if I needed to borrow money from you, and, and it was time for your jubilee, well, I'm going to try to get as much as I can if I ain't going to get but a year's interest take on you. And so he kind of puts these provisions in the law as this this momentous occasion, right? I have never seen anywhere in the scriptures where they ever really celebrated the year of the jubilee. Have you ever seen any, you know, that would, to me, God put so many of those things in there, but I've never seen so why why are those not recorded? Does Israel just fall on their face with this thing, or how does that work? And the same thing with the Sabbath year's rest. And right. I mean, there's certain things that's not mentioned. What did John say concerning just the things that Jesus did? Many other signs and wonders did Jesus do in the presence of his disciples? Not in, not in right. his book. But, These are into you, believe. But if it would take what? It would take the... If the yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd take it all the world. And the, yeah, yeah. all the, the books ocean. in the world wouldn't hold it. Right, and so... When it comes to the scripture, what's the purpose of the scripture? What's the point is to Christ, or you know? There you go. And so, is it a history book? No. Is right. there a history in it? Yes. Yeah. Right. What's the purpose? Are there other nations? Yes. Right. Are there other nations who are trying to serve God? Yes. Yes. Right. But what do we have? How come we don't have more about Nebuchadnezzar? Right. And how God was or, blessing him. Well, think about Melchizedek. I mean, because that's the thing. Is like, So my question is this. You know, the Bible was not written for us to believe that Jesus existed. The but Bible, you, the Bible was... believe that he is. Yeah, that why he existed, right? You know, that it wasn't written so that we could validate that Jesus was born in Nazareth 
while that's in there, but it wasn't written so that we could get a, a social security number for Jesus, that he actually, right. you know, could validate his life. But it was written so that we could understand why he lived for. And so when All you about that dash. Yeah, yeah, the, the middle part, you know, from beginning to end. And so when you look at this Old Testament scriptures like this, like, for example, you know, Melchizedek, I mean, for Pete's sake, you know, it, he's such an important person that the Hebrew writer is going to talk about him for a couple chapters. And, but he's, he just gets a blip. But you think know. about it. By that time period, they already had worship established. By what time period? You mean Melchizedek? Melchizedek. Or, yeah. Right. By that time period, a tithe had already been established. Right. And By that, that time, you already have Jehovah God worshipers knowing who he is. High priest, priest, king. Yeah, high priest of Midian, yeah. you know. Uh, and, and for listeners, Melchizedek's in the time of Abraham, right? right. Abraham, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, go ahead. And so you look at Abraham, you go back to what? Uh, chapter uh, 14? Yep, yep, I yep. Mean, so, so 12 is uh, the beginning of Abraham, you know, and then you so kind you of. have all these things, but we don't have a an existence law yet. We right. don't have, yeah. And so there's a lot more there than you have go a back copy, to. A recorded law. Recorded. There's right. a law. As a matter of fact, if you look at some of the laws, which you, well, we were talking about the Code of Hammurabi earlier. Right. In that scan. Look at how many of the Mosaic laws are very similar yeah, well, those are just moral laws. It's like when Cain killed Abel, whether he used, you know, that Cain killed Abel with the rock. Well, the Bible doesn't say that, but he, it says he killed him. What law did he break? Thou shalt not kill? No, because Moses didn't get that till Sinai. So it's, it's, not, it's not ex post facto, you know, with God. It, those laws always existed. So when Cain killed Abel, it was just as wrong if Cain would have smart-mouthed his daddy. Yep. You know, I mean, it was it was dishonoring his daddy was still just as wrong as it was killing his brother. God just wrote it down because Israel needed a law to be a nation. You can't be a nation without a law. But see, that's just it, that God has established God's law. This is where I, in so many different topics, God doesn't pay attention to culture. Right. God establishes a standard. As a matter of fact, he says sometimes there's things wrong with your culture. Remember Titus 1, he says, listen, you know, if your own people just say you're not lazy, gluttonous, greedy, and he says, and this thing is so. So sometimes it's yep. even like your culture's wrong. Yep. Yeah, and when God told Cain, he's like, if you do well, will you not be accepted? He's asking that question as if you already know this. Right. That's it. Well, That's what right. is well? Well, God had established that with what was well and what was not well. And the thing about it is that we want to be very careful Mm -hmm. because how did Cain mess up? Well, he didn't offer a meat sacrifice. That doesn't say that in the Scripture. I I don't think it points to that. God had established what would be acceptable as a sacrifice. Cain brought something. Right. Was it the first fruits? Was it something he just scraped off the ground? Was it... We don't know. Uh, the Bible teaches that Abel acceptable. brought a more excellent sacrifice. That's right. So that what that does by default, it says that Cain brought a sacrifice, and so, but Abel's was more acceptable sacrifice because he brought his by faith. That's it. That's there's the, the key right there. Right, you got it. And so Cain brings. I mean, um, sometimes Abel. I get Moses building the ark, but the you know Abel brings the good one. Right, because he brought it by faith. You know, Cain, even, you know, so here's the thing. It's like even if Cain would have brought the same lamb on the other side, right? Could very well have been wrong. It, it could have just as, you know, religiously he could have been right, but spiritually he would have been wrong yeah. because it wasn't offering it by faith. Yeah. These people draw near to me with their mouths, but their hearts are far from me. Right. Yeah. Right, exactly right. And so, you know, the the the, the, the question, you know, and, and you kind of answered it in a nutshell is, is why are there things not in there for Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine, right? The hidden, hidden things, things are of God. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Amen. 
Amen. Preacher's default if he doesn't know. Right. right. So Gary answered your question before you could ever get it out. Right. But you were making a bunch of <laughs> statements. Right. Well, that's good. Yeah. You know. So, uh, so here's my question, and and I heard this spoke in a sermon one time, and I, anyways, I, I would like to. So Luke 15, prodigal son. You referenced Luke 15 earlier, but prodigal son. Jesus is listening to all these things that would have been in a Jewish culture that would have been dirty or nasty or would not have normally happened. The eating with the swine, you know, the fact that he would dishonor his father and take this, you know, inheritance and go and squander it with harlots. And so all these things that this, this boy did. But when the father runs to the son, I, I heard it said one time, I don't know if you know anything about this, but if the father would have ran to the son then supposedly in that culture it would have been um, it would have been uncustomary because he would have uh, brought shame because his legs would have been shown. That customary that culture, old men don't run. It is a matter of they're established. They are but if the father had not run to the son, very likely that village would have killed that boy. Because he had dishonored his father in such oh, a way, yeah, they would have, yeah, they would have had to stone him, uh, according to the, the law. The boy, you know, the boy had asked for an inheritance. That's like, Dad, I'm ready for you to be dead. Give yeah, me my stuff. Give it to right. me. Right. Okay. And now I, I look at that and I call it the parable of the loving father mm-hmm. instead of the prodigal son because yeah, I, yeah, yeah, right. so much there. There's two boys too. But there yeah, is right. And but father, give me my stuff. He gets the stuff. He goes off the foreign land. Notice, here, here's one thing that's always question, puzzled me. The old son says, this is your son who has squandered your money with prostitutes and wild, ri- rivalous, right, riotous, uh, riotous living. Riotous living. Mm-hmm. How did that older son know? Yeah, he knew. So how come? Daddy knew too. But there's times, you know, so you got the first, you know, what what you having 100 sheep wouldn't leave the one and, and leave the 99 and go after the one. How do you know he had one missing, right? If he didn't have, no, he had a hundred. And so right. the, you got the first two scenarios where the, where they're searched for. But there's some points in our lives where God gives us the free will to walk away, but He allows us to go, even though He knows what we're doing. But He chooses not to run after us because sometimes it has to be our decision to come back. Well, it's just like Motel Six. He left the light on. He for left him. the light on. Yeah. Now you look at the three parables there of Luke fifteen. Now, you, since you brought up two sure. of those, mm-hmm. let me go ahead and bring up the third one again. Mm-hmm. You have the woman who lost her coin that coin was lost by somebody else's behavior not by hers the coin didn't lose itself right but it was still lost you have the sheep who wandered away there are people who wander away not paying attention whatever right find themselves outside the fold of god then you have those who deliberately leave right all three are still lost. lost right then that Luke 15, all three are seen as valuable. Mm-hmm. In each case, you have the sheep that wandered off. Yeah, one in a hundred, one in ten, and one in two, yeah. One in a hundred sheep. Oh, yeah. One in ten coins, and then one of two sons. Right. Yeah. I hadn't put that together. Very good. But you have where you have that. <laughs> Bob's the smart one of this scout fan. Whatever. Man. <laughs> I'm uh, in the middle. <laughs> no, that's the, the good stuff, one. like the Oreo. <laughs> Whatever. All right, go ahead. I <laughs> But... You have the diligence paid to the one that was lost accidentally. Mm-hmm. You have the diligence paid to the one that just wandered off. But the one that deliberately left, he wasn't chased down. Mm-hmm. 
But when there was any sign of him coming home, and the father, seeing him afar off, ran to him. Is that not some, at least a guide for us, that when people wander away, when people are accidentally offended and leave, maybe that's why what Paul said in Galatians, brethren, if one be overtaken in sin, right, let him restore such a one spirit of meekness. Yeah. So that's the accidentally lost one. Right. That's why John would talk about the sin that's unto death and the sin right. that's not unto death. Right. That's First John five. You mean? Yeah. So yeah. we we look and we pay attention. You know, what did the father do? The loving father had every right to what? Yeah, he, have him killed. Let him stay yeah, out there and die. Yeah, he could have stoned But he him. didn't. You know, I mean, me as a father now, I, I would think that my dad in those days would have waited till I walked all the way up to that porch. Yeah. Begging, you know. All right, right, what you doing here? Right. You, you looking for more money? You know, what What do you What do you want from me now, you know? And yet, the father, right. seeing the sign of him coming back, they didn't even wait for his confession. No. He took and put a robe, ring, called for the fatted calf, and the mm-hmm. son says what he's rehearsed. Yeah. But note, and I think that's the key, the father's the great shepherd mm-hmm. of the hundred sheep. And sheep can be stupid. I can tell you stories about sheep. Sure. But Amen. you yeah. look at the God's the the woman in the house who has lost something valuable. He swept the whole house looking for it. Mm-hmm. And God's the loving father who wants those even who wander away from him. And you and I get to have <clears> the <throat> privilege of declaring the message of the loving right. father yeah. to tell Amen. people how and, great God is. And God, and the fourth one, God is the love and father who still comes out on the porch to meet the one who's been judgmental toward the one that came back who was lost. There you go. To the Pharisee, the Pharisaical approach. The father went out of the house to get both of them, to get both of those boys. He He's out the porch. He runs to get the one. But then when the other one would not come back into the house either for the for this, you know, the fatted calf party, and that's not he goes out it. and gets him. What does Luke say in Acts and many of the – Priests and the scribes and right. Pharisees believed on him. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You, you can grow up in a religious family, but until you come to terms mm-hmm. with who Jesus is, yeah. there's where. See, when I realize who Jesus is, I cannot help but respond. That's it. To it, That's I may it. not respond the way I should, but I ha- I have to respond. And if I believe Him to be Lord and Savior, then there is only one response I have. That's my total submission. That's the last decision you'll ever make. So that, so that Luke fifteen, the the significance to the Pharisees, because that's the that's the whole thing. You know, they're tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him, but the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, "This man receives sinners and eats with them." So then he gives them these these three accounts of these you know these people, and and, and then the fourth one was really for them too. You know, the older brother. But uh, so this, I guess, my back to my question of the the significance of running. Old men don't run. So what is he trying to teach the Pharisees there, the fact that this father runs? That he, God loves them and wants them. That God pursues them, is pursuing them. Old men don't run, and y'all know good and well that, that this boy would would have been, dead. been killed. I have yeah. never thought of that before. I've never either. Yeah. I've never thought about the, 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 the consequences of the boy coming home. And this is probably the most preached about passage uh yeah, this you know. is this is. I mean, how many church signs do you ride by into denominations or wherever, and it's got, you know, the something about the prodigal or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, I mean, how many songs do we have that weary yeah. prodigal come and all these mm-hmm. songs that we sing and, and 
And that's where we have to, that's where I, I believe culture is so important in studying and understanding and grasping and appreciating more of the text is let's look beyond the boy and his need to see the father and his love. Mm. And, yeah, do you think the boy had to clean some cow stalls? <laughs> I got no doubt. Amen. But do you, how do you think his heart was? And clean that couch. Yeah, and, oh, and, he, and he stabs him, and he puts that he puts that signet ring mm-hmm. right on his finger. Like you can make decisions on our family now. You're back in in that honorable state. Yeah. Well, let me ask you a question. Then, when he t- turns and look at his brother, and he's like, "Look, you never." And his brother is like, "You didn't kill a fatty calf for me. I've been here the whole time. Look, yeah, you never even I, got a goat to us. You know, I got I got manure under my fingernails. And son, you know, all things are yours. Yeah. Everything but it I was have. only but right." that we should celebrate your brother who was dead and is now alive. So does the brother does here's a here's a question. Does the pro, let's just use the prodigal. Okay, let's just identify him as the prodigal, the wandering son. Does the prodigal son reinherit or is he done? He's already received his inheritance. I have and I have wondered that same thing over and over it again. It seems to me that it's no, but, you know, in the sense of like that because he looks at his brother and he says all that I have is yours. Yeah. You know, like like he's like you know, like they'd have divided it two thirds. You know, the oldest would have got two thirds. I mean, they'd have divided it three ways. The oldest would have got two thirds, and the youngest would have got right. a third. And so, the two thirds, the the stay behind brother, whatever you want to call him, it appears to me that like even though he's home, and you know the father came to meet him, you know you get all the benefits of the family. You know, you, you get it, but there's also. I think there needs to be an understanding in this, and I and I, I don't mean to overshadow with the negative, but there's also always consequences to your actions. Uh, Chris, if you go out tonight and you get drunk, and I'm walking home and you hit me with your car, right, and I am in the hospital and I lose my arm, right, now or you lose your arm, right. Can you be forgiven for getting drunk? Right. And it's Absolutely. better to enter Yeah, better to enter heaven maimed, right? You can so make it to heaven with one arm. You can be forgiven. Right. Just because you're forgiven, does yeah. that mean that you got your arm back? Right. No. Oh, and you I mean, you can't you can't unrape somebody. You can't un you know, you can't right. unmurder un- somebody. Yeah. But you can be forgiven of those things, but there's still going to be consequences that yeah. are going to There's going to that. be consequences. Yeah. And that applies for marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Right. Yeah. Matthew or 19. Sexual, right. I mean, whatever. Yeah, if you if you father a child, that doesn't mean you can be forgiven from, but you still got a responsibility for that young and, and That's right. And and, I, and it may be and this, with this older brother, it, son, all that I have is yours. It was right, though, that we received him back. And I think that it's right now for the older brother to take care of that younger brother. I believe that's what's being said. You know, I, maybe that's maybe that's what the father's telling him. It, it's All inheritance belongs well, what, to you. You're, and so you're in charge of everything that happens. Yeah, in well, you household. think about the way the church. I mean, you know, you, if somebody has made, I mean, how many, listen, I've got one of the greatest stories of redemption that I've ever been a part of that stayed in my family. I mean, stayed with my family this weekend. And I mean, from a, a wife that was a meth addict, an alcoholic, met her in prison, her husband, an illegal immigrant. I taught them, I mean, they, when they became Christians, it has changed everything about their family. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything. And I've never seen a family that's went hair, tooth, and nail because, you know, they got several kids outside of wedlock. And, I, and I'm telling you, this is one awesome family. I mean, just awesome family. And, these group of guys, you know, they when they became Christians, they knew that they were going to have some challenges, and and even the wife will still say things like, "When I came home," and and because she, she's talking about when I 
when, what, what she means by saying that is, is when I left the world behind. And so there's just, there's just these inherent things that are going to happen, you know, challenges, consequences of your actions. But that does not mean that that's the end of it. And so you take somebody in the church that wanders away and gets himself caught in a mess. Well, they come back to come back. I mean, we're going to do whatever we need to do to get them if we're going to be the body. We're going to do whatever we need to do to make sure that they can be successful. I mean, you, that's why Paul writes the Second Corinthians letter. You remember the guy that you've done the, good at this fellowship and yeah, now welcome him home because he's repented. Yeah, don't. I mean, like the old boy can't bear but so many lashings. You know, you, you're going to have to let him back in. And here's the thing that really can strengthen the church. Also, we always teach the blood of Christ forgives that lost sinner out there. No matter right. what your past has been, God can forgive you for it. Sure. We sometimes fail to say that to members of the church. I know that you have fallen, Bob. I know that you have struggled. I know that you're overcoming your addiction. I know that you have looked at the wrong pages on web. I know that you have drank the wrong thing or shot right. the wrong jug or whatever. I know. But even though you've done those things, you as a Christian can be forgiven just as surely and just as thoroughly as a person who had never heard about Christ until he learned the truth and became a Christian. You can be restored. You can, again, have that relationship. Amen. Uh, so I know the podcast is, uh, is gone pretty far, but I, I'm going to ask you this question personally or on the podcast either one. So. All right, so here you go. So Luke 9, when uh, Jesus is on the road, he looks at somebody. This guy comes up and says, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. Foxes have holes. Bird, you know, birds have nests. Some man has nowhere to lay his head. We understand Jesus didn't have a earthly home. All right, with that one. I understand the hand of the plow. No one having looking back. You put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom. But I know that there's there could be like a, a few different ones in my mind. Number three, Jesus says to another guy, you follow me. And the guy says, uh, yeah, let me first go bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury the dead, but you go preach the kingdom of God. And so that's my question for you. Like, what's the cultural thing there? Let the dead bury their own dead. And I guess let me give my small brain understanding of this. One is, I, you know, does that mean Jesus says don't go to, uh, don't go to your father's funeral, uh, and you know, don't honor your family by going to your father's funeral? Uh, I don't think it's that one. Plus, if this guy's daddy had died that day, you know, I don't know if this guy would be out on the street. But I don't know Jewish culture. Maybe they did. I don't know. The other thing is, is, and I'm just thinking in our Western culture is if this if this guy's dad is uh, laid up, uh, you know, and he's on his kind of getting to his deathbed, he's older, and so now he can't make decisions for his family, and so is this guy the older son who would have responsibility? Let me bury my father first and take care of dad. I don't think Jesus is saying don't take care of your family because we can read in other scriptures, you know, that hey. Anybody to not provide for his own. Oh, and he's worse than infidel. Yeah, worse than unbeliever. So then I understand that maybe the third one would be is that this guy is kind of like the prodigal son and saying, well, let me let me bury my father and get my inheritance and let everything go good for me, and then I'll come follow you. Those are my kind of three understandings of it. But let, let me add one for you. Uh, yeah. Just, just to see if it helps. Thank you. That's what I want. <laughs> you know the story over in Mark 10 of the rich young ruler. Right. Yes. And – Without telling that whole story, you sure. know how it comes down. And Jesus says, one thing you lack. The, the, 
Sell all you got. Obey the law. He says, I've done that from my youth up. He says, sell all you have. Come follow me. Give it to the poor. Come follow me. The young man walked away sorrowful, for he was great possessions. Part of the message there, I believe, is not that we have to sell all that we have and give it to the poor, but that the young man had not even obeyed the very first commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And because if he had done that, that his love for God would have taken care of getting rid of those riches. Yeah, he, he's just, it's just reiterating no man can serve two masters. So as I look at that story, I think it's the same thing that Jesus is saying. Let the dead bury the dead. Who are the dead? Dead can't bury dead. Right. So it's a figurative illustration, right? right? Yeah. So the, what's the figurative illustration? Don't let that world keep you from living. Right. It's, I don't believe he's saying don't go to your dad's funeral. I don't believe he's saying don't go take care of home business. I don't believe he's saying those things. But I do believe that what he's trying to say is get your priorities straight. Yeah, what, first what, things first. Yeah, whatever this means, you know. And isn't that a blessing that those things, you know, that there won't always be the answer to it. Mm-hmm. You know, that there's going to be this idea that whatever you see in that burying your daddy thing as preventing you from following me, you're going to have to give that up. You know, what, whatever that thing is in preventing you from coming after me with your daddy, you're going to have to give that up. One of the things I've noticed in Scripture and as I mentioned, I've been preaching 43 years. And there are times I'll pick up the scripture and I'll start reading. And all of a sudden, something jumps out at me. And I'm talking about it grabs my shirt collar and gives me a good slap. Mm-hmm. I call it gold nuggets. Mm-hmm. Right. Says, wow. Yeah. Because it's just like I've never seen that. I've never comprehended that. Has it always been there? And then when I start thinking about it, it's just like all the synopsis in my brain starts connecting. Mm-hmm. Then if that's true, no wonder this and this and this and this right. all comes together. And it's a well of joy. I mean, it's a well of, wow. And I think. And then I want to share it. Who right. can I tell? Right. right. And I think. And we'll I call go, Bob. And I've gotten the pulpit sometimes. Let me share. Let me show right. you. And I've got some who are going, huh? Right. And it's just like. Right. And then I've got others who who's look at the, me. Who's Rich Young Ruler? Uh, <laughs> that others who are looking at me almost like, you're just now getting that? Right, I've had that right, for years. Right, right, right. And then others are saying, you can see in their, I perceive in their eyes, doing congregational analysis, they're saying, so you're saying that. Mm-hmm. And you you can see. They're doing the head bob. Oh, wow. I right. mean, and it comes to life for them. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times I start to share something with people and it's almost like, huh? What? Right. I mean, my wife has told me, stop saying you know the story. She's saying people don't know the story. Don't, don't talk hey. about Moses. And the All right. So, so your son and grandson are sitting here. Oh, this this uh, was videoed in front of a live audience. How come so you like, don't get uh, music when you when you run off? So, so, but anyways, your son and grandson are here, and they're both in ministry, right? Yes, sir. In this room. There's a lot of people in ministry in this room. And I'm proud of them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, for we your too, grandson uh, – Go go back to to your congregation in Antioch and and poll Dodge po- City. No, he's in Antioch. He's in Antioch. Oh, I thought you were talking about Gary. I'm no, no, no. I'm oh. saying there's grandson. Go and if you're a youth minister listening, uh, talk to your kids and ask them uh, where is it found? The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. You would be surprised. I have talked to kids across the nation, and it's hard for them to to come up with. I, hey, what does Psalm twenty three say? And they're like. <laughs> and it's like, but we have assumed 
We got a bucket button for them crickets over. We right. have assumed for all these years that that they know. You know the story, whatever. Instead of you know, so anyways, I that's something that I'm trying to say. So our, help me with this one too. Um, 61, and another said, Lord, I'll follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. Of course, this is the hand of the plow thing. Culturally, what what is that? Is, is Jesus just saying, um, don't let your family get in the way, or your cultural family get in the way of following the yeah, Messiah? Don't, don't. Again, I think what I've said earlier, that <clears throat> God first mm-hmm. covers all of those three all of it. things. Is And, you know, I was told that you need. I needed to learn a, a trade and get a job and get some money in the bank before I ever became a preacher. And I'll never forget being in, I was running a restaurant in Kansas City. And I remember thinking, finally coming to my senses and thinking, if somebody can talk me out of being a preacher, I shouldn't be one. Mm-hmm. There's always going to be more to do to prepare. Right. And, you know, we three four, five, are continuing to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul would say himself that he was, you know, counted everything but rubbish, what, yeah. but for the excellency of the knowledge right. of Jesus Christ. We're always going to be learning. There's always going to be more to know, to do, to get, right. to be. Yeah, bless you, those are hunger and thirst. Right. 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 But we can't let anything that's current in our life, our family, our position, our title, our money, our jobs, our whatever, mm-hmm. keep us from being, following Christ. And I think that's something that every, I think every individual is challenged with their, their whole life. It it's is. not just, oh, I overcame that. Well, the, <laughs> Satan's going to put something else in your way. Well, so, so selfishness me, will put something else in your way. Well, Let's, let me ask you this question then. And, um, I mean, I literally could do this for the rest of the day. And Yeah. There are things that are in the Bible. You have inspired text. The whole of the Bible is inspired. Amen. But you have uninspired sayings in the Bible. True. Okay, so yeah. what I mean by that is like... Um, All Christian liars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John 9. Here's, there's a good one. You know, God does not hear the prayer of a sinner. Right, exactly right. That's an uninspired man saying something. Right. And, and, and so sometimes it's hard... You know, like uh, nothing good comes out of Nazareth. And I don't know. I mean, he had just been healed by Jesus. So yeah. I, he might have been inspired at the moment. <laughs> He's pretty inspired, I reckon, yeah. you know. But, uh, you know, so here's the question. So, for example, like I said, um, nothing good comes out of Nazareth, right? That that was them kind of, Isaiah says, come, let us reason together, right? That's though your sins be as scarlet, they be white as snow. So God always wanted His people. You know, Peter says the prophets, holy men of God, spoke as they were moved, searching and inquiring the times and seasons. You know, when when a prophet made a prophecy, so Jeremiah makes a prophecy, Isaiah makes a prophecy, Daniel makes a prophecy. You know, Daniel two forty four in the days of these kings, Isaiah fifty three. You know, the suffering servant. You know, all these things. It was then the God always wanted His people to dig deep. To, to look, survey the landscape, as it were, and try to line these things up scripturally, right? So when Jesus came on the scene, in their mind, they should have connected all these dots, right? The, you know, that, that and, and I really... Yeah, he had to go back and expound, you know, Luke 24 or whatever. And I really believe the that they thought in that day that they were close to the Messiah. 
you know, the, the best I can tell from my readings, they thought like, hey, we know that we're in the Daniel 2.44 period. You know, we know that, that uh, you know, all these kind of things are lining up, you know, and I think they really were looking for the bubble, yes. you know, to burst, as it were. And, Simeon and Anna, both in the temple waiting yep, for the date. Yeah, yes. I mean, so I think they were all there. So how then does, how then did their culture then become, because here's what happened. You started off with this thing about, you know, we were talking, you know, we should be paying attention to context. And I'll say this. I, I, I remember when I first became a Christian that it was book, chapter, and verse. First Peter 4.11, if any man speaks, let him speak as oracles of God, right? So there, that's true. So when we think about this, isn't it a greater thing to say book, chapter, and context then? Because, so you think about the Sermon on the Mount. Explain to me why, the, you know, the Sermon on the Mount was, you know, if I'm borrow a football term, was the audible on history. As it were, I mean, it's Omaha, Omaha. You know, Peyton Manning. You know, you come to the line of scrimmage, read the defense. Omaha, Omaha. We're getting ready to change the. We're getting ready to change the offense. So, the significance. Why? Why is these? Why was it such a significant event for Jesus to stand up on the sermon on, and and go through this? You've heard of old said this. You know, they were they had searched and they had kind of reason in their mind what what murder was or what. You know, I can swear by the gold of the temple, or I can swear. You know, all these different swearing things. And why was the why was the Sermon on the Mount such a significant thing to them culturally, and then ultimately it echoes through eternity to us? Okay. For brevity's sake, because I understand. You, you know, I I, can, I, I, I handed you a big hours. old fat brush. I understand. Okay. First of all, to whom is Jesus speaking? He is speaking to a bunch of people who are down and out and struggling. Right. Okay. These are people whose husbands and wives may be bandits. Maybe maybe they've lost the farm because of taxation. They are highly taxed. They are the undesirables right. of society for a good part. You said stands. Jesus sits down. Right, and when it's seen the multitudes, just, right, exactly. Uh, yeah, he sits but, down. They stand up, right. But even more so, I think the key is maybe tied into what we call the Beatitudes. Mm-hmm. That word blessed, and it's translating our translations now many translations, I should say, is happy. I don't believe that's a good translation of that word. The word there, I think better translation of it, especially if you look at what the Hebrew word would be, since Jesus would have been speaking and teaching in Hebrew, the common vernacular, uh, with some Aramaic, I know. But the, the word there, privileged, is probably a more accurate word there because it talks about from God. Privileged is the one mm. who hungers and thirsts. When it talks about a gift, so what that does is it makes a reality of are you hungry and thirsting after God's will? Want to know what God's will is? Are, blessed are the meek. Are you trying? Are you living? Why? You know, you can't be happy are you if men scorn you. Right. Happy are you if you... No, it's I, I would understand it to say privilege. You count be, yourself to be privileged if this happens. If you're going yeah. through this because... Here's going to be the result. So he reaches out and on, I believe, on an emotional level, addresses the reality of where the people are, and then throughout the Sermon on the Mount, 5 through 7, gives characteristics of citizens in the kingdom of God. And so in doing that, not only does he acknowledge where they are, but he acknowledges where they want to be and how to be part of it. And so, you know, if you come to me and you say, Gary, I'm depressed. I am really depressed. Is it going to do any good if I 
snap out of it. Right. Get over it. Suck it up, buttercup. Okay. That's not going to do anything. Why? I've not even acknowledged your real hurt, your real need at that point. Whether we're talking about an emotional thing or a physiological thing, I've not given any credence to what you said. I'm depressed. Mm-hmm. So that's Jesus gives credence to who they are and what they're going through in their life. And if you look at each of the Beatitudes, it addresses an aspect of their life. But second of all, he shows them and he says, as you acknowledge, you've heard it said, I'm telling you this, right. explaining this. And what he does in each of those cases is he reveals the heart of God. Right. He gives them a glimpse of glory. And in do- giving them that glimpse, glimpse of glory, he's saying, this is how we live. This is how we, well, there. What, what, what does the last part of Matthew 7 say? The yeah, people were astonished at his right. teaching, for he yeah. did not teach them as a scribe. Yeah, the one of my favorite verses, authority. you know, and the common people heard him gladly. 1234 yeah. of Mark. Yeah. yeah, that was the, that's just it. He spoke to the people where they are. Mm-hmm. And I got a whole lot, I have a whole lot of books. I got a, I have a whole lot of books. And I listen to a lot. And I, st- I try to study more. And I read a whole lot of textual criticism and form criticism and theology books and stuff like that. And I've come to the point of saying, you know, I think a lot of these guys are missing the boat. If you're studying so much more on this than you are living this, Amen. then you're missing the purpose. What is our purpose? Our purpose is, well, didn't Peter say it in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 and 10? Not only did he say you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a people for God's own possession, peculiar King James. Mm-hmm. You know, why? To proclaim the praises of him who transferred us out of darkness into his marvelous light. light. Amen. There's my purpose. Right. To proclaim Christ and him crucified. Yeah, so I see those God. beatitudes as, as not self-contained, but but they're also they're building blocks. Because yeah. if you realize that I'm flat out broke, Right, I mean, I'm at spiritual zero. I mean, like I got my account is is nothing. I got no, I got nothing, no chips to cash in with God. I'm spiritually bankrupt. You realize that, and you realize that because you're in that shape, everybody else is too. Because there's nothing you can do, and so then he says, "What a blessing it is that you can you mourn." Because once you realize you are, the second one is is that you realize the world is. And I've seen this in people's now you can lives. To somebody else. Yeah, I yeah. see this in people's lives. I see people that become Christians. And 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 in the beginning, they they only thinking about getting themselves straight. And and I, I'm not saying that's not an important thing, but what happens is in their growth, they start looking around them and they realize like everybody else is too. Look at most of those twelve step programs that exist for people struggling with addiction. Yeah, you got to go through steps four, five, and six, other right. accountability and everything. But what is your last steps? Right. You go out and you help others right. in their journey. Yeah, that's the, the and get up and dance. Luke even says to get up and dance when men bless and, you know, they they persecuted the prophets and they're going to persecute you too. So, man, I'm just so, Gary, I'm just so glad we got to have this time together today. I'm thankful that you've allowed me to be oh, here and man. talk with y'all. And just know that at any time I'm more than eager to talk about God's word. Oh. I may have to say I don't know sometimes. Well, you didn't mm-hmm. today. But, uh, well, your questions weren't original. Right. <laughs> uh, there's nothing but, new under the sun hey that's right hey gary what does the bible say about aliens aliens uh 
we're all alien to this ground. We're <laughs> headed home. Did Adam have a belly button, yep. Gary? Yep. How do you know? He created him grown, didn't he? <laughs> you ever known a grown man without one? Well, I didn't know Adam. <laughs> well, don't have to. Yeah. I didn't know the air of Colossians the Colossians 1 talks about aliens. <laughs> yep. Alienated. Hey, we appreciate you guys turning in. We know today we went, we had a kind of an extended version, but it, it's totally worth it. I appreciate Gary so much you coming and and you know we can't sing your praises enough. Yeah, if you so. had Jesus on the podcast, you'd spend more than forty five minutes. Right? Yeah, right. Exactly. Amen. All right, Gary. Thanks. Thank you, and I'm glad that y'all are doing this. God bless. This is.